The reading is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, verse 31, and to Genesis 2, chapter, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. From Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. From Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. From Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 and 9 through 16. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not befit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart." And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So we begin, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and thank you for your presence with us. We'd ask now that your word would rule over us, your spirit would teach us, 
that you being known and glorified would be our first, our only concern. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In a Jewish home, every Sabbath begins with the reading of Psalms. Chief among them, Psalm 3, which we said responsively this morning. And like most other Psalms, this is a Psalm that arises out of a particular set of circumstances. Second Kings chapters 15 through 16 gives us the story. King David, up to this point in his life, has had incredible success. He subdued the enemies of Israel. He's expanded the borders, amassed great wealth, built an opulent palace, moved the capital to Jerusalem. But that great success has also been marred with catastrophic failure. An affair with a married woman, a murderous cover-up. He's had children die, children go wayward, children banished, friends who've become rivals, parasites, thorns in his side. But then one thing caps it all off. His son Absalom, who has always nursed royal ambition, declares himself king, raises an army against him, besieges Jerusalem, walks in unopposed, and perpetuates grievous violence against David's wives. David is forced to flee walking barefoot, hiding his face so he's not recognized. And his old enemy, as he goes, King Saul's relative, hurls down upon him mud and rocks and insults. David arrives at his destination, beaten, downtrodden, exhausted. But he leaves that place refreshed. And the telling of the story, this refreshment is given the Hebrew word nefesh, which is a combination of breath and soul, meaning that God literally breathed life into his soul, restoring his inward places. Psalm 3 was written out of that set of circumstances. And as David tells us in the psalm, the night before the battle with his son, he lays down and he sleeps. We have an important meeting, an encounter that we're dreading, a busy time at work, a fight with a family member, a doctor's appointment, and we have a sleepless, restless night. David's life is on the brink of destruction, and he lays down and sleeps. He lays down and sleeps. I don't know about you, but that stirs up in me a deep longing yearning, desire for deep rest, for life to be breathed back into the soul. For are we not restless? There's the restlessness that comes from that inner murmur of of self-reproach, the constant comparison with others that is exacerbated by social media telling us that we're not enough, thin enough, beautiful enough, accomplished enough, cool enough. Restless in the midst of expectations put upon us by family, by society, by culture, not to mention the crushing expectations we put on ourselves. And that was before a pandemic. As outlets for rest and recreation now seem beyond our grasp, cut off from the refreshment that is, that we can have in the company of others. The crushing weight of responsibility, work from home, take care of the kids, direct their education. 
the rising fears that are stirred up in us of what the future might hold economically, socially, politically. We are restless. Do you long for that rest? For God to breathe life into your soul, restoring your inmost places? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Meaning set apart this day that is different from any other day to receive the gift of rest that God so lovingly gives. And so this morning in the midst of our restlessness, we will hear the invitation, engage the practice, and embrace Sabbath's fulfillment. We will hear the invitation, engage the practice, and embrace Sabbath's fulfillment. So first, let us hear the invitation. The command to set aside a Sabbath is embedded in the Ten Commandments, found alongside such things as murder, theft, adultery. The message is striking. A society that fosters restlessness, busyness, overwork, overachievement is as destructive upon us as a society that fosters murder, theft, adultery. But what is also striking in the Ten Commandments is that this command to keep Sabbath is the only command that has a rationale attached to it. This is why you should keep Sabbath. It's important in our keeping that we understand why. In our Exodus reading, that rationale is expressed in this way. Remember Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that is in them, but rested on the Sabbath day. Remember Sabbath. Remember that you're created, created in the image of God. Judas Shulevitz is a secular Jew, a writer for the New York Times Book Review. And she joined a synagogue and began to practice Sabbath after seeing her life bearing the marks of what she called a lack of Sabbath. She wrote an article about her experience saying that in the Darwinian world of the New York 20-something, everything, even socializing, exercise, reading, felt like work or the pursuit of work by other means. And in the article, she was seeking to invite others like her into the practice of Sabbath rest by rooting us in this creation rationale. She writes this. The story told by Sabbath is that of creation. We rest because God rested. In other words, we rest to honor the divine image in us, to remind ourselves that there's more to us than what we do during the week. You see, all the other six days will seek to define us by our achievements, our titles, our accumulation of material goods, or lack of those things. The other six days will seek to define us by the opinions of others, the comparison with others, the expectations of others. But Sabbath roots us in who we truly are, gloriously made in the image of God by faith, recreated in Christ to be his children. Remember Sabbath. Remember who you are, created in the image of God. Remember Sabbath. Remember 
that you are not God. You are created. You are creature. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, in his commentary on the Ten Commandments, said that we cannot break any of Commandments 2 through 10 without first breaking the first. What does he mean? Well, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And so in not keeping Sabbath, what demigod are we honoring above the living God? Ourselves. You see, the worst hallucination that busyness conjures up is the conviction, I am God. It all depends on me. And how will the right things happen at the right time if I'm not pushing and pulling and watching and worrying? Taking Sabbath says clearly, I'm not God. Only God is God. And He is good. He is sovereign. Canadian pastor and author Mark Buchanan, in his book on Sabbath, writes this. If God can take any mess, any mishap, any wastage, any wreckage, any anything, and choreograph beauty and meaning from it, then you can take a day off. Remember Sabbath. Remember that there's more to you than what you do during the week You're gloriously created in the image of God, recreated by faith in Christ. But also remember that you are not God. You are creature. But Exodus is not the only place where we find the Ten Commandments. They're also found in Deuteronomy, but the rationale for Sabbath-keeping there has changed. In Deuteronomy, it says, Remember Sabbath, for you were once slaves in Egypt, And God rescued you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In the land of Egypt, the people of Israel were forced to work each and every day. They knew work with no rest, while the Egyptians lived a life of leisure. Now, of course, there are huge societal implications to keeping this command with that rationale that all are given rest regardless of class or or wealth. There can be an incredible justice within our society if we were to keep such a command. But our consideration now is to invite us personally into that rhythm of Sabbath rest. And so with this rationale, God is saying to his people, if you can't obey my command to observe Sabbath, You are willingly entering once again into slavery. To not honor Sabbath rest, we may be willingly enslaving ourselves to our work culture that pegs status to overachievement, enslaving ourselves to our consumer materialistic culture, enslaving ourselves to the identity we're building from work, enslaving ourselves to our people-pleasing tendency where we just can't say no enslaving ourselves to our insecurities that we cover over with our work, enslaving ourselves to external expectations, enslaving ourselves to our work ethic. Remember Sabbath. Break the chains, loose the bonds, silence the the cracking whips. Do not enter once again into slavery. Let us hear the invitation. Remember Sabbath, 
Remember, you're created in the image of God, but you are not God. Remember Sabbath. Break the chains of the taskmasters that keep you enslaved, that keep you from rest. Let us hear the invitation. But now, if we respond positively to that invitation, what would it look like to engage the practice? What does Sabbath-keeping look like practically? Well, Genesis 1 is the song of creation. And the repeated phrases in this song teach us deep truths about the reality of God's relationship with his creation. And one of those repeated phrases is, it is good. After every day, God says, it is good, it is good, it is good. At the end of the sixth day, after creating humanity, it is very good. But surprisingly, that phrase is missing from the seventh day. What are we to make of this? Does that mean that God doesn't see the seventh day as good? After hearing the crescendo of it is good, we are meant to fill in the gap, to proclaim ourselves on the Sabbath, it is good. Dwayne Lifkin in his book on Sabbath says this, this is what Sabbath rest is and that is what it's for. It is designed to provide us with an opportunity to pause and look back on what we have done through the week and decide whether it was worth doing. It is a time to stop and prayerfully examine. Unfortunately, many of us try and avoid examining our lives. The busyness is a way that we can avoid truly looking at ourselves. And so we keep on the move, avoid being by ourselves, be sure the TV is on, always have the phone in our hands. Above all, avoid the moments where you can just stop and examine. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, the fictitious Uncle Screwtape, a senior demon, is trying to mentor his protege in exactly how to drive a patient away from God and encourages him, keep him distracted, keep him busy so he won't see the bad influence of his friends, he won't recognize his pride, he won't hear from God. Sabbath invites us to stop and prayerfully examine, can we look back over the week and say, it is good. Prayerful examination could come from asking ourselves some very pointed questions. Does the path I'm walking lead to a place I want to go? If I keep heading this direction, will I like where I end up? Plot the trajectory. Will you land in a place you care to live? You could do this with a simple prayer of examine. Where have I seen God the most in my life this week? Where has God been absent? Where do I need his grace most for the week ahead? Sabbath calls us to reflection, to stop and examine. Can we proclaim it is good? But there's another repeated phrase in the song of creation. It's not found on the seventh day, which again speaks of God's intention for Sabbath. In verse 2 of the Genesis reading, we read that the earth was formless and void. And so creation had to express itself through forming what is formless and filling what is void. 
On days one, two, and three, God forms sky, water, earth. On days four, five, and six, God fills sky, water, earth. What is formed must be filled. And filling implies procreation. When when it references humanity, it implies betrothal, intimate connection. See, the ancient rabbis believed that on day seven, God did in fact create something, form something. He believed he formed rest, menhucha. And they spoke of it as, as if God were a king building a bridal chamber, which he plastered, painted, adorned. But what would that bridal chamber need? A bride. Rest has been formed as a bridal chamber. Who or what would fill that rest? This imagery is made all the more clear by the command, remember Sabbath. And the word remember is the same word as to betroth. In other words, remember Sabbath. Wedge yourself to Sabbath. This is a day that God intended for us to spend with him to be spent in intimate worship, intimate worthship, seeing what he's worth, giving him what he's worth. Sabbath invites us into the delight of corporate worship, personal worship, delight in his word, in his presence, in his good gifts, in his good creation, all of those delights being an act of our worthship, seeing what he's worth, giving him what he's worth. I suspect that for many of us, while we may long for the rest that Sabbath brings, we'll be overwhelmed by the prospect of setting apart a day that is unlike any other day. How could I possibly, we would say. There's just one less day then to get everything that I've got to do through the week done. And in the midst of those thoughts, the invitation goes unheard, the practice goes unengaged with. So perhaps it would be best for me simply to encourage you to expand your Sabbath time beyond what it currently is. And I suspect that you will begin to find that engaging the practice of Sabbath will begin to frame all of your other days, breaking the taskmasters, freeing your identity from the things that you do, such that when you return to the other six days, you may find yourself doing less laying more down, and you will delight in pushing Sabbath into the resulting gaps. As we hear the invitation, let us engage the practice of prayerful examination and delighting in worship, for in our worship we will encounter Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, and in doing so, will be brought to embrace Sabbath fulfillment. In our Hebrews 4 reading, we've got a passage all about rest. In fact, rest is mentioned 11 times in eight verses. But each time that word is used, it's not referencing the same thing every time. And it seems that the author, amongst other things, is inviting us to consider that Sabbath rest is simply a foreshadowing a foretaste of creation's ultimate rest. It's no mistake 
that Jesus does the majority of his healing miracles on Sabbath. He's foreshadowing creation's ultimate rest in and through him. And the Hebrew passage invites us to yearn for that rest. And how might we yearn for that rest? Well, the author of Hebrews speaks of the word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword, that the word of God will strip us down, get us to the very heart of who we are, leaving our thoughts, our motivations open, leaving us naked and exposed before the holiness of God. This naked exposure we so often run from, we rush to cover it up with our own sense of goodness, of accomplishment, of the opinions of others, all contributing to a deep sense of restlessness because those things can't cover that over. Instead, the author of Hebrews invites us to take that naked exposure before Jesus, our great high priest, who through his death covers us with his grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. Richard Loveless, in his book, The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, writes this. If we start each week with our personal security not resting on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present achievements, such arguments will not quiet the human conscience. And so we are inevitably moved to discouragement or apathy or to self-righteousness or some form of idolatry that tries to falsify the record to achieve some sense of peace. But the faith, gospel faith, that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love and what Jesus has done for us, instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from all these other sources, is the very root of peace. Go to this fire. It is merry. It is bright. The film Chariots of Fire illustrates this profound truth. It's a film which chronicles the true story of two British runners in the 1928 Olympics, Harold Abrams and Eric Little. The film, they each tell us why they run. Harold Abrams says, I run because I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. Eric Little runs, he says, because God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. In reflection on this stark difference, Pastor Tim Keller says this, one man runs to prove who he is. The other runs because he knows who he is. One man is working even when he's resting. The other resting even when he's working. We began Sabbath by lighting candles. As creation begins with a let there be lights and redemption begins with the light of the world, Jesus coming in to give us true rest in and through the gospel. And so in our Sabbath rest, let us go to the fire of God's love for us in Jesus. For it is merry, it is bright, 
It is the very root of peace. It is the very root of rest. Hear the invitation. Engage the practice. Embrace Sabbath's fulfillment. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Set it apart as a day like no other day. A day for God to breathe life into your soul. To restore your inmost places. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.